0: pulled over on a long drive, briefly, uh, in the middle of a lament, I'm uh, up to the fourth movement of Verdi's Requiem. Uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier, uh, in which, uh, it's, a, it's a podcast I listen to a bit uh, from time to time, uh, which goes through classical music and describes Pieces, and um, and then I listen to that for a while, and then I don't put the piece on after I get sick of listening to those two. They're actually really interesting, uh, and I can't remember what podcast it is without looking at it for the moment. Um, uh, it's, it's a lady who plays in an orchestra. I know that much, and some music historian, you know. Um, I think he's a bit of a chauvinist and she's picked him up on some of that. I, they get along you know, on a musical level. I, I did hear one thing where he was—he said something very chauvinist and um, she took offence but completely let it slide uh, because it wasn't relevant uh, to what they were talking about. They, were, they have a shared love of music So even if at that moment she thought he was a pig, um, it wasn't relevant to her at that moment in time. She was able to keep talking to him and really enjoy the conversation and enjoy his company, uh, even though she may have thought him a total pig uh, because um, they were there to speak music, not politics. It's a question of whether you can separate these things in your mind. You know, like if Hitler, for example, who I think was good at art, for example, you know, if you got into a discussion with Hitler about art, um, yeah, it could be, you know, it might be a, um, he might be a decent person to chat to, you know. And you know, even if I was Jewish, for example, um, depends on who I was, uh, but if I wanted to talk about art, and I was out to dinner with Adolf Hitler. You know, maybe I could park. Depends um, how, how well you can do that sort of thing. It depends how well you can park one side of it. You know, like if, if you were talking to a great mathematician, for example, and you were a great mathematician, um, you know, could you discuss mathematics with um, someone whose politics? made you sick to the stomach. (laughs) Um, But I've gotten off track. Um, uh, So I was listening to these two people um, discussing Verdi's Requiem and the the lady asks the man questions. He's older, clearly older. Uh, He sounds at least two generations older than her. And, um, and... Okay, I got the background. Ah, oh, is that where you know? Is that what sits behind Verdi's Requiem and all that? And like with a lot of music, whether it's Beethoven or Verdi or whatever at that time, um, uh, there's a lot of revolution in the music uh, and politics behind the music all that sort of thing, you know, and revolution is driving a lot of these great artists, and all that sort of thing, at that time, okay, so this was, you know, Verdi was in that time of, um, you know, post-French Revolution, um, well, the French Revolution went for 100 years, maybe it's still going, you know, or are the Fifth Republic, and, um, but, um, Yeah, if if, um, the French Revolution was the big daddy of them all, the big earthquake, you know, all these other revolutions around Europe and all that sort of thing are the aftershocks. You know, um, so you know that's where Germany becomes Germany, all the little Prussia and all the little bits and pieces of Germany, you know, turn into Germany, and um, and all the city states of you know, all all the kingdoms of Italy um, finally become unified as Italy, and all that sort of thing and I suppose that's repeated everywhere Uh, but um, Verdi's Requiem uh, is um, I didn't know this, but there's a lot of things I don't know was, you know, a Requiem for Alessandro Manzoni uh, who was a literary hero of the unification of Italy Um, and uh, Verdi was um, part of that group, you know, he was um, for Italian uh, cultural and actual unity and all that sort of thing, you know, throw off the Austrian yoke up, uh, up in the north and bring all the kingdoms down south together and bring everybody under one flag Uh, Italy, you know, the new Italy and, um, the 1800s alright now, um, as I was listening to that music history sort of person speaking about the historical basis you know, the the historical stuff going behind the music, um, I was thinking um, this process of many kingdoms in various places all around, all around Europe, becoming nations, so many kingdoms in Italy, all coalescing to becoming, to become one Italy, it's kind of a globalization of Italy, Yeah. You know? Um. that's what it felt like as I was listening to him, and you know, obviously I've been sort of, um, listening to podcasts and reading stuff on the French Revolution and all that sort of stuff, Um, well, all my life even before podcasts started um, my mum's got a poem I wrote it would be horrendous on the French Revolution and apparently I went into detail I haven't, I've got to get up there to mum's place and read it one day it'll be awful uh, because I was only a kid Um, but alright, I've been on these themes and yeah, I think it was about 30 pages long a poem where I would have just forced rhymes right through the thing and described every step of the way in the French Revolution but um, I think these revolutions the English and the French and US and all that sort of stuff um, Yeah, sometimes I wonder what the chicken and the egg is but I think the Industrial Revolution you know and all that sort of stuff um, pushes it is the chicken that lays the egg that is the social and political revolutions and all that sort of stuff, I think. You know, look, there's a bit of chicken and egg stuff going. You know, it's it's like a, a dance between those things. But I think technology comes first. And then the social and political upheaval comes afterwards in general. You know, we happen upon new technologies like fire. You know, way, way back when we were cavemen. And then... Um, social um, upheaval occurs as a result of that, you know, and our brains get bigger and we're no longer monkeys and all that sort of stuff, you know, and then agriculture comes along through experimentation over a long, long period of time and suddenly we start to form civilizations as the Greeks called them, you know, all that sort of thing, I think the technology comes first, you know the agricultural technology comes first and that forces us into cities uh, we become dis- we become slaves to our domesticated plants and domesticated animals and all that sort of stuff, you know. And th- and 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 the same goes with the industrial revolution. Um, that forces, I think, a certain globalization, but a local globalization, which sounds crazy, but I, I know what I'm talking about. Well, I know what I'm talking about. But let's say in Italy, you've got all these distinct. Um, kingdoms, let's say, or tribes, if you like, or groups. Um, and um, before the Enlightenment and Industrial Revolution and all those sorts of things and new technology and all that sort of thing, you know, those little separate kingdoms uh, are kind of the optimal system. It's not all technology based because I suppose ancient Rome was all a single place too, in a sense. Uh, but um, work with me. <laughs> Um, We went into the Dark Ages and all went backwards, you know. So all these little kingdoms. And um, now we're going to come forwards again through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and all that sort of stuff. And the Industrial Revolution will throw that in as well. Um, And we have a whole new box of rocks. All right. Uh, Excuse me. Let me drop that. Um, Now, it feels to me like a globalisation of Italy and a positive step well, an inevitable step, you know, because once the technology is there, um, those little city-states, those little tribes are never going to survive, so you might as well get on board because you just know that all those little kingdoms are going to, that's not optimal anymore. You know, you need a bigger entity, you know, like you need all the little milk bars all coalescing into a supermarket, as much as we hate that sort of process because we kind of find those milk bars charming. You know, and um, uh, you know, like the city states in Italy, they spoke different languages, even yeah, variations of Italian. Well, what we call Italian now, which didn't really exist back then, Um, and um, and it's inevitable that Italy becomes locally globalised, i.e., unified. And all the different tribes all become one Italy. Now it's never totally successful, even to this day. Italy is, um, you know, the South is not politically in alignment with the North and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's all that going on. But the point is, there is an Italy. And there is an Italian flag and people call themselves Italians. So Italy did globalize itself at that time in the 1800s. And I think overall, it's a positive step. Well, no, I'll say an inevitable step. So you might as well get on board with it. Look, the kingdoms, it's quite clearly, uh, resisted this move towards local globalization, i.e. unification, um, and uh, terrible battles. And many people died. Now, Verdi and um, was a, um, a musical hero. Of this process of globalization, local globalization. Now, this was going on in Germany too, and in France, and everywhere else, even in England, Um, this coming together. Um, Even in the modern age, right now, you know, it's sort of happening in Ethiopia, of all places, a place I keep an eye on, simply because my goddaughter's interested in it. And um, there's a lot of people in Ethiopia at the moment that are trying to keep all the tribes separate, you know, keep them all discrete and distinct, but it's almost like an unstoppable force towards local globalization there, and I think the current Prime Minister, and you know, and there's lots of horrible um, genocide, genocidal type stuff going on, as the current Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Dr. Abbey, tries to locally globalize, locally globalize, unify, Ethiopia into a new form of unified state that's different than the previous form of unified state, which wasn't that unified. It was more a, an ethnic federation sort of thing. Anyway, so whatever Dr Abbey's doing now with great amounts of suffering and death and all that sort of stuff and shocking loss of culture and all that sort of stuff is, I think, what was happening in Italy in Italy back in the 1800s. And, you know, many, many people died. And they became the the heroes, the people who died. Well, people die on both sides, don't they, in all these situations. Um, And the unifiers were... uh, The Italian word meaning resurgence, you know, resurgimento or something. Um, This is the unification process. Um, And... um, Verdi was a musical hero uh, of that whole movement. He was part of it. Now, there was a literary hero of that time, Manzini, uh, Alessandro Manzini. And um, Verdi's Requiem is a requiem for Alessandro Manzoni, who died. during this process of Italian unification and and Verdi made this requiem for him now it it almost fills you with a sense of nationalism and, you know gets you pretending you're an italian you know and and I find myself on the side of the globalists in that situation um number one because it does seem like a more noble um thing, you know this idea of a unified Italy and all that sort of stuff. Um, Of course, on on cultural lines, I suppose. Um, But but surely, to the north, they were a bit Austrian as well. The Italians, what we call the Italians now. But, it seems to be on the side of good. You know? And the people who were trying to keep the old ways, the kingdoms, seem to be on the side of They're the bad guys, you know. Now, it's not that simple. There You know, the loss of those kingdoms must have been a great tragedy for the people who lost those kingdoms and all their supporters and the people who wanted to stay as independent kingdoms. It must have been awful, you know, all of that becoming unified and the loss of language and all that sort of stuff, you know, because I think Manzoni wrote a... um, from what I heard before on the, on my podcast, wrote a, um, a key, uh, book, um, in his version of what we call Italian now, and that became a kind of standard, you know, he almost standardized Italian, and all the people who spoke different Dialects of Italian, but such strongly different dialects that they couldn't understand each other half of them. uh, All started just using that as a template for a one Italian language. So you're talking death of language, you know. So you can imagine that sort of thing happening in Ethiopia now that everyone ends up just speaking Amharic, you know, and you get the death of certain local languages all over the place. But as I was listening to them speak about it. You know that process in Italy, it seemed like yes, there was tragedy in the loss of those independent tribes, as it were, kingdoms and loss of language and loss of culture. and it's a, it had to have been an awful tragedy um, because all change is tragedy, I think and and yet, overall, you get the feeling that Alessandro Manzoni and Giuseppe Verdi, John Green, <laughs> my father-in-law is called John Green, mm-hmm. and, um, and other people who were involved. Um, um, they're, they were the good guys, uh, because they were the victors in the end, because Italy is Italy, isn't it? Because so Italy gets to write the history now, I suppose. But that seems to be, but there, it, there does seem to be something good, or inevitable anyway, about that kind of globalisation, that local globalisation. We did it in Australia too. And there's some awful tragedies about what happened in Australia, especially with Indigenous people. But we had six separate colonies and all that sort of stuff, and these other areas, you know, that we now call territories. Um, And we kind of globalised all those into a nation called Australia. So we, a hundred years ago, were into globalisation, local globalisation. Yeah, because that was optimal for the rise in technology at that time, and Italy was doing the same thing and Germany was doing the same thing and France was doing the same thing lots of places are doing the same thing the u s was doing the same thing you know the United States of america that's kind of the globalized state of America you know it's, the current fifty two states or whatever they've got over in America is a globalized uh, nation of you know once we were states um now as technology rises even further i find myself thinking well it's a natural progression isn't it you can you know look sitting in australia the most you know for me the most wonderful country in the world at present no coronavirus we don't even we we really missed out on coronavirus um, so far at least and you know the Australian Open on, tennis is on at the moment and you know really no masks really or anything like that because we've got no cases you know we had one case in Victoria um recently but no he doesn't seem that we knew his name well someone knows his name but he's the only one and we had one case in Western Australia recently but that didn't seem to spread either and um you know, and, and and we're getting thousands of people dying a day in Europe, and a thousand people, thousands of people dying a day in America, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and now, so you would think, oh, I must be a non-globalist. Um, we've created a paradise with tragedy. Yeah, there's always tragedies. You know, there's tragedies for the indigenous Australians and all that sort of stuff. But we've got a paradise of sorts here with tragedies thrown in. Um, and you'd think, uh, oh, well, okay, you know, why would I, of all people on the planet, want to be a supporter of globalism when I'm living in paradise? And we're keeping, you know, and everybody else is living worse than us at right at this moment. Everyone on the planet is living worse than us, except maybe, you know, the New Zealanders. Um, for various And we've got wealth galore and comfort and... It's unbelievable. You know, so I should be an isolationist, really, shouldn't I? You know, even, you know, like, United States is an awful place to live at the moment um, for all sorts of reasons, and the UK is a disaster, and, you know, who'd wanna live in Ethiopia at the moment, and so on and so forth. You could go right around the world and say, no, globalization, you know, everyone else is a mess, and this is beautiful right here as I listen, yeah, but we've got a new enlightenment going on at the moment, a new technological revolution, and all that sort of stuff, and it almost seems to me it's inevitable that a form of globalisation, or a single nation of the whole world, with all the obvious problems that that's got, you know, I've argued long and hard against this whole idea for many years, because I just imagine, I always imagine, and you know, once we all become one nation in one world, sort of, Nation, uh, you know, one nation, the whole world is one nation. You know, some Napoleon's going to come along, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, in theory, you know, this seems like the natural, the inevitable thing that's going to happen as a result of the technological revolution. And to a certain extent, one part of me says, I can see what's good about it, in the same sense that I can see what, like, this Alessandro, Alessandro, Alexander Manzoni. Um, whatever he was writing, I've never read his works, but it'd be something about, you know, the glorious cultural Italian unification and all that sort of stuff, let's have a revolution just like the French, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I can imagine that there's something good about Italian unification, with all the tragedy thrown in, loss of culture and loss of language and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and I can see that conceptually, that, you know, Like, I feel like getting on board with globalisation of the whole planet. Um, Now, you can always point to all the things that will probably go wrong if you try and do that. You you might end up with a situation like we had in Rome and five families owning the whole world. Well, the world is on the way to that anyway. But, um... And you can see a great dictator rising up and becoming the king of the world. You know, there's all those obvious problems. We can see the, you know, the big tech companies suddenly, you know, um, turning into artificial intelligence and, you know, we're all being run by technology and we all become slaves in some George Orwell 1984 sort of way. But all those concerns would have been true of the um kingdoms of italy when italian unification was coming along um you know there would have been people saying this is going to be just we're all going we're all going to be slaves to some um augustus caesar that's going to come along you know some stalin style augustus caesar because augustus caesar way back at the unification of rome (laughs) if you want to call it that the death of the republic um he was a stalin kind of person And I can imagine, I bet, I haven't studied it at all, uh, but the various kingdoms of Italy uh, must have um, worried about what a future king or president of a a united, globalised Italy, locally globalised Italy, um, was going to, you know, that he was going to be another Caesar. It would have been that worry. There was the very real specter of that with Napoleon, you know, becoming very much an emperor in the Roman way and all that sort of stuff. So these, and yet, you know, it was inevitable that it had to go that way. And we do have a France now, you know, which seemed like a really bad idea once, um, I'm sure, as, you know, when when Napoleon was running around and, you know, taking a crown off the, Pope and putting it on his own head and saying, I am, I make myself king, you know, Uh, God doesn't make me king, and the people don't, either I do, you know, which is one step, anyway, I better go, because you know where I was going with this, I'm almost becoming a globalist, but I know there's problems.